0: They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity?
1: I wrestled with this... uh This message this morning, in fact, I was about this close to just shifting gears because I felt like maybe this message was about several months late um, in the game. And uh, I have been praying like crazy that uh, the Lord would help this to really be what we need to hear. And I know it is a word for us um, where we're at even today uh, as a church and as members of the body of Christ in general. And so I would like to, uh, to talk about what it is uh, to be called in his service. And so looking at this passage, I will uh, just say Jesus is giving this parable up front. He's addressing the 12 disciples in response to Peter's question about <clears throat> excuse me, what they should expect to receive for all that they have given up to follow him. And... Uh, And so first I want to talk about the labor. Now we talked last week about crowns, and we talked about reward, and we talked about those who are facing trials of various kinds, and again, thank you to the Millers. Uh, That really made my day last Sunday when they sent me a picture, of the the three kids like, sent a picture of wearing crowns, and I was just like, it's awesome. But we talked about this idea of, of toiling and facing trials in such a way that we recognize that it is... It is building steadfastness in us. That that it is about equipping and strengthening our faith in the Lord. Helping us to understand that he is at work. That he is doing the testing. He's the one ultimately in charge. We sang songs this morning about his rule and his reign and how he is king over all. And I think that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind that Jesus is also helping to remind in the bigger picture of this parable. Is who is in charge Who's the one who's doing and and calling? And so when Jesus responds to the disciples, he first talks about uh, the labor. Um, I'm going to talk about these four things today. It's the labor, the laborers, the landowner, and the 11th hour. So the labor. So what we see is there's an understanding there's work to be done. There is labor to be done, and the people are looking to work. There is something within us, and I think this goes back to the very creation mandate in the garden in Genesis 2. When God places Adam in the garden and he says, Here, you are to tend this garden, you are to care for it. Um, God created us for work, He created us. to to feel and find some sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in doing good work. And so there is something when we're not doing that work, a restlessness starts to happen. I remember my first real experience with this was when I shared with you all several years ago. um, Kind of was a a catalyst point of of shifting everything as God began to do his work and moving us towards seminary and where we are today. Um, but when I had lost my job with the school where I administered and served for nearly a decade, and uh, I remember I just kind of got in this place of, of dealing with the, the low point and not able to really find work in the area. And I remember just sitting around kind of thinking, what am I supposed to do? And I remember this restlessness that began to just take over. And it wasn't until I was given and, and offered a job, a part-time job in this store that a friend of mine uh, Owned and it was just kind of a knickknack nostalgia store. It was kind of a weird little place, and uh, but there was something about doing work, and I began to find that it was good work, because in that work God was doing work in me. He was teaching me to undo certain things that I had in my mind about having position as a matter of success, having a particular status over here that people looked at me in a certain light and that was what I needed, was for them to, that I was supposed to be in a place of charge. And here I was submitting, here I was doing a work that uh, really didn't have a lot to do with what I had been doing in the, in the past. Um, but it was good because it undid a lot of things that I had taken on in misunderstanding and misconceptions. I had developed. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the the author who wrote Crime and Punishment, um, he once wrote this, for the secret of a man's being is not only to live, but to live for something definite. Without a firm notion of what he is living for, man will not accept life and will rather destroy himself than remain on earth. You know, we see this quite often. We see that men all around, men and women around us, oftentimes invest themselves in doing things that really don't have any deep meaning or any sense of of something bigger than themselves that they're living for, and you see the restlessness. You see this sort of self-destructive behavior that starts to happen, and it just creates turmoil. And it's because people don't have anything bigger to live for sometimes that if this is all you got, it's just one big grab bag, and everybody steps on everybody to get it. And so these are wise words for us to remember that it calls us back to the fact that we've been called by someone who has good work for us to do, who has created us for good work. And in fact, he has made the way in Christ so that we can now do that good work. That's the beauty of being set free in Christ is that we are now free to do the righteous work that we were made for. And so moving forward, there is something in this story that reminds us People were longing to work. There was a sense in which work was just understood. And so what is that work? And ultimately this story is talking about motives. You know that's something God's also very much getting to at times and in most things is where are our motives? When we make decisions to do something, when we go somewhere, when we say something, what are the motives behind that? When we, when we go and, and start praying... What are some of those motives? And that's kind of what this parable gets at. Let's talk quickly about the laborers. Because that's, that's really who we are. We're the laborers in this, uh, in this story. During the time of Christ, in this region, you have, the, the, in the context itself, the regional context, up to 70% of the population basically were struggling farmers and fishermen, Um, or they were living at subsistence subsistence level, basically survival uh, laborers. They They were working just to try to survive and not starve to death. And they worked for others in fields or factories. A denarius was a standard day's wage at this time. It enabled a laborer to buy food for himself and his family for the day with maybe a little left over. Hired hands resembled like modern migrant workers today. Their employment was seasonal. Any surplus they received had to be carefully saved. By any modern standards, these 70% lived in poverty. A bottom 10% and sometimes more made up the class of outcasts and expendables. They were often below even the subsistence level with starvation as the real threat for them. These were the times that Jesus is speaking at. This is the culture in which, which the story is set. This parable is set in. People understand this. And so what we see is Jesus starts describing certain laborers. Right? He starts breaking down those who are laboring. He says, And going out, After... He says, for the kingdom of heaven, and that's the one thing I do wanna make a quick, clear statement on. Before we try to immediately, because I know our temptation is always, and it's something I have to break too, is the temptation to go, oh, why does this fit right now, right where I'm at, right with this situation? Keep in mind, we're dealing with the kingdom of God, Jesus is talking about. This is about the kingdom of God. What he's doing for his overall kingdom. It's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning, to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then it says, he went out on the third hour, saw others standing standing idle, and he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Then he went out again in the sixth hour, the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. He said to them, "Why do you stand here idle all day?" They said to him, "Because no one has hired us." He said to them, "You go into the vineyard too," and they did. So, coming from Texas, this is actually a photo from a very familiar uh, place in Plano, Texas. It's a labor—it's uh, a labor station where day laborers can go, and—and and it really is if. If you've never driven by these places, I remember as a kid and even as a teenager in college, before some of the, the cities actually designated day labor stations, you could drive under certain bridges and places and you would see just clusters of people just jumping out waving. And, and most of them were immigrant workers. They, they You could tell. Um, some of them were probably illegal. Some of them were, um, Some of them were just down on, you know, in, in their financial situations. But you could see these people just pushing, moving through, trying to flag somebody down, and you'd see these trucks kind of stop at times, and you'd see them talk, and they jump in the back, and they take off, and the others keep trying to wave down other people. And this would go on all through the day a lot of times. There would be a certain point in the day, number one, Texas gets super hot, but number two, there's just a point in the day when you would find those, those areas just empty. There's a point at which they just gave up. No one was hired for the day, I'm not gonna make a full day's wage, and a lot of it was based on the fact that most of these people were paid just minimal. I mean, below, below, way below um, minimum wage to work a full day, but they were taking whatever they could get. This is a picture of one of those places in Plano, Texas, which was close to where we lived before. and the thing about this is that you learn, as a, as a worker, a day laborer, you probably learn very quickly about, about whose truck you want to get into and whose truck you don't want to get into, who is good to work for and who is not. And, and I tell you, it's, it's hard when you live in a culture where you, you can hear some of the stories of how people are treated um, just simply because they're desperate desperate to work. They can't afford to sit around. And so Jesus starts to draw out a picture for us of these workers. He starts to take this group of workers who are standing there and he says, the first group are your contract laborers, let's say. They're the ones that the the master of the, the landowner comes and he says, I need some workers. And they say, okay, we'll do it, but only if we get this out of it. We expect this at the end of the day. This is what These are our terms for us to work for you. He says, give me what I want for my work and I'll sign on. They demand that their terms are met. These are contract laborers. Then there's the promised laborers. There's those that he finds after the third hour, sixth and the ninth hour. And he says, listen, you're just standing around idle. Go work and I promise I'll take care of you. They go out to work based on the promise of this landowner. But the third group, the 11th hour group, they're just eager to serve. You notice he doesn't doesn't say a whole lot to them, does he? He basically says, why are you idle? Get out there and work. He recognizes these people are still standing with hope. They've been passed over, looked past, not even thought, ah, they're not worth hiring for a day. And he says, get out there. And they go and they work. And it's this group that at the end of the day, we see that that when they line up for their wages, the the master, the, the landowner, he says, call those last ones up real quick, pay them all their denarius for the day. And what happens? Well, we see that the, uh, the group that was hired first, the contract laborers, start to grumble, don't they? Hey, 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 wait a minute. We work the whole day in the heat of the day, and why are you paying them the same thing that you are paying us? And it says they that The text actually says something like they assumed they were going to get more there was this presumption they had that oh well we've been in this longer we're going to get more out of this especially if he's giving them a denarius we agreed to a denarius but there's got to be a bonus coming now and it's that presumption that starts to be the lesson Jesus is after he's trying to show the contrast of the motive and the spirit by which people were moved to work for this landowner you see like I said these These workers, they know faces, and they know who's hiring them after a while. And there's times where a truck will come by, and they'll just kind of walk away. Like, "Mm mm-hmm, I'm not holding my hand out. They'll sometimes warn others, hey, don't do it, don't do it. He's going to offer you some, sounds like good money, but he's, he's not good. He's not good. But this guy, this landowner apparently has a reputation enough to where there are people who recognize this guy, number one, has the means. He has the work available. But he's also a good guy. There's something about his character that that last group in the 11th hour knew, I can go, I don't even care, I just want to be part of the work that's going on on his land. I want to be a part of what he's doing there in his vineyard because his vineyard's good. His vineyard vineyard is the place you want to work, and this is the kind of guy you want to work for. And what we see is it is that wait for the 11th hour. It is that that trust that they have in in this master, in this landowner. They had no contract. They had no promise. They just had the command of him. They trusted him as goodness. They're given a role, a place, a purpose through the generosity of this landowner. That first group, they're not grumbling really because of what, you know, they're not being treated fairly. They're grumbling at the generosity of the landowner. And so there's something in which we need to see the danger of also people watching here. I remember years ago, Uh, a wonderful gospel preacher came to my college and he preached in a chapel and he had mentioned something on this text and he talked about the fact that that we all need a blind eye and a deaf ear because there is a tendency to look off and look over at what others have and to say, oh look, they've got that and that and I don't have that, why don't I have that? I'm not going to serve and I'm not going to do unless I have that. Unless there's promise that I can get that too. It becomes sort of a spirit of consumerism that we're faced with right now in our culture today. What am I getting out of it? This was one of the challenges working with students over the years in the school. When we would do a fundraiser, we'd have to figure out a way in which, oh, what can we give them that's a treat in order for them to come and work and serve in this opportunity? What what is it in, what's in it, do I get a cool shirt, do I get a this and this? And there would always be that question it's like, we have an opportunity to serve a good god who has rewarded us already with plenty how can we ask for more when he meets our needs daily and he continues to give us that and more and that's really what jesus is getting at is our motives jesus is saying this landowner is likened to who god is for us the kingdom of heaven is much like this you have A king, a landowner who rules over all this land. He has so much of it. He has so much work to be done. And yet, there are those who want to negotiate with him. There are those who want to say, I need these kind of things for sure. I need these certainties. Boy, this has been tough for us, hasn't it? As a family, I know this is tough because we understand what it was like to be able to say, oh yeah, if we do this and we do this. This is sure to turn out this way. We can definitely... We learn to plan pretty well. And then God disrupt those plans. And he reminded us, no, I'm I'm God. But I'm still here. And I provide. But the whole key is I want your heart tuned into me. And I want you to just trust me. And this is where we have learned to give the testimony of the 11th hour God. Um, People talk to us. And just recently we were talking with a new family that just moved to seminary. And we were talking with them, and I began sharing how God has been our 11th-hour God in this whole process. He has taught us to wait till the last minute when we can't figure out what decision do we need to make. What is the choice you're putting before me? What is the work I'm called to do? What is it, Lord? And it just doesn't seem clear right away. It doesn't seem like something I can chart out, and put on paper and go, "Well, financially this would actually move us to this, and we could do this, and then we will be able to. And then the kids would be able to it all seems like a muddy mess. And we end up waiting and we start feeling that anxiety draw up and we start panicking a little and we keep trying to pray and in those prayers we're just holding back something. And then, and then finally when we give it over and we realize we're getting down to the line, oh Lord, what, okay, our lease is going to be coming. They're going to need us out at this point. We're going to have to do this. And there he is. Oh, by the way, I've got this for you to do. And that's how it's felt over and over. And I watched as we were sharing this with, with, uh, with one of these new students and her eyes started tearing up because you could tell she had encountered the 11th hour God. And right now it feels like an 11th hour. Many of us have been faced with 11th hour decisions and right now it feels like an 11th hour time for us. And you know what? I want to encourage you church God is still at work and he is there and he is a good master. He is a good ruler. He is a good king and he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And he rules more than Highlands Church. His work is greater than just this. It goes and extends kingdom-wide. But yes, the question is, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what work can I do right now? I know it doesn't seem like this might pay off or that might pay off, but what can I do right now? And that checks the motives of our hearts and it tunes us back into the landowner and it reminds us that he is the shepherd of a thousand hills. We are the sheep of his pasture but he's the one who leads us along still waters. He's the one that makes us to lie down in those green pastures. But there's also, he's also the one that, that gathers and he sins. And so we have to be mindful that the work that we are doing, the work that we're a part of, the work that Highlands has been a part of in this great narrative of what God's doing is, is a beautiful thing. And it's part of his kingdom work ultimately. And that when we find ourselves faced with 11th hour decisions, and it might not just be Highlands Church decisions, there's 11th hour decisions in every bit of our homes, in our lives. Trust that he's got the work lined up. I love Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth, who has created good works for us so that we may walk in them, Right? He goes ahead of us and prepares the work, and we just simply walk into it by faith. We have to put that trust forward and say, you're here. Over the years, when I taught my students, the first quote I would have them learn in my class was Phillips Brooks' quote. Duty makes us do things well, but love makes us do them beautifully. When I think about how often I would have to call that to mind for my students... Duty makes us do things well, but love makes us do them beautifully. That's the point of what Jesus is after, is that he's the one who ultimately makes things beautiful. He is the one who's doing a restoring work. He is the one who is reconciling people back to God in himself. And it is a beautiful thing. And we can work out of duty... We can work and say, i got to do this because this is what i got to do. And we can do this because I'm going to get this at the end, I know. And then there's just simply doing things because we love him. Serving, loving, caring, working all the way to the end till we know where are you sending us next? What are you doing with us next? What is next on the, on the docket, Lord? And we entrust ourselves to him in love. And we will begin to do those things beautifully. It becomes an outflow of our love that from the love he's shown us. And that's actually the very nature of what God intended for his people and the gospel to do. That his love would pour into us and it would overflow in good works of mercy and grace and love and help and, and, and just creativity but it also means that we trust him to work in the midst of all that and that sometimes he gives us a call that moves some of us somewhere others elsewhere some of us together in one place and we continue to do work but ultimately we're doing it for the kingdom of God and so as kingdom workers I would encourage each and every one of us here that we would do it in a manner just trusting in the good good father that we have, who is also the landowner, who owns the vineyard, who is abundant in his supply, and who walks with us all the way through. And beware of people watching. Second Corinthians, I don't have a slide on this, but... um, 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Years ago, I remember studying this passage and this idea of Christ controls us, the love of Christ controlling us is like this picture of taking a watermelon seed and pinching it. It it compels, it squeezes us so tightly. His love squeezes us so tightly that it just projects us out. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of father we have. He is a good, good father. And we're about to sing that in closing today. But let the love of Christ the love of God move us and compel us into places where we can work and serve the good master. All the way to the end, we can't retire from this. This is the good work we've been made for, what you've been made for. And we will do it together, whether bound together in one place or together scattered, doing the work with others who are doing that same good work. We are ultimately one body in Christ. We are an eternal family. And that is the gift and the peace that I get, no matter what may come, that you are my eternal family members. We are bound together forever. And God will gather us one day for an incredible feast and a celebration, a worship service we can't even wrap our minds around. And I imagine Chris and Brian, Bill, Hillary, Brent, Adrian, <laughs> there will be many joining in that music. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are you are our great shepherd. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us by your spirit, that you have done a work that, that gives us confidence to, to just trust you to trust in the goodness of your provision, that, Lord, even in the waiting, you're doing a work. We thank you, Lord, that that we can trust that you will meet all of our needs, that, Lord, you, you hold us together by your Spirit, that you hold us together and you put us to work. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all in what feels like an 11th hour, that, Lord, you would help us to be confident in you That we would trust that you have good work for us still to do. And that, Lord, we would find your energy and your power and your love to do it. Your resolve to do what needs to be done and what is before us. For however long that may last, Lord, we know that you're with us and we're thankful for that. We know that you have called us and we're thankful for that. I thank you for each person in this room today, Lord. And those who can't be with us this morning. We pray for those who have family members who are ill. We pray for those, Lord, who have yet to know your goodness and your love. We pray, Lord, that you would, that you would turn us in their direction, Lord. That you would help us to not miss those opportunities that, it, that we have to do your work and extend your love and your grace in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.